Pulse Audio Podcast Network. <laughs> Your five second countdown took like 10. Well, I hope you're ready because that's how we're starting the episode. Yeah, I know. Okay, there we go. Your intro problems are solved. They are because of your real <laughs> slow countdown. Anyways, hello everyone and welcome to Whining About History, the women's history podcast where two longtime gal pals get a little bit drunk and talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of. We hope. Otherwise, this might be a little boring for you. Actually, I kind of hope they've heard of them because that just means they're like that is super. True. Maybe we'll find into it. We'll find nuggets that you haven't heard of. Before. I actually, I went on a date and I was talking to the the guy about like how much I'm into women's history. He's like, "Oh my god, um, have you ever heard of these? Like, they were like these Russian pilots during World like, War II." I was the like, night "Oh, witches, excuse bitch, me, please. the night witches." I covered them all the way were back. Were you actually and, like, wearing that jacket? I was oh, not. Oh. I was not wearing my like women's history girl gang jacket with my beautiful night witches pin that one of our listeners made. Uh, I actually thought about wearing that, but I. Was I was like, you know what? Save that for like the second date. Like go full fucking frontal feminist <laughs> on the second date. Uh, but I was like, oh yeah, I covered them in like episode 11. Don't, don't even. Don't even. And then I immediately went to a tire. I like basically started reciting my that notes. I was like, right. and then this bitch told Stalin that they need some fucking women pilots. And even Stalin was like, fuck, fine. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they'd already given the girls tanks, so why not planes? Actually, that one girl bought her own tank. That's true. He bought her own tank and then was just like, so I have this tank. And I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. And you better be okay with that. (laughs) And you're okay with that. Because I have a tank. Yes. (laughs) Love that kind of energy. And that's the energy we are bringing to this episode. It is. And I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. I'm so excited. Can you imagine if this was someone's first episode right now? And they're like, the actual, like, they're what like, the fuck right. is happening? I mean, Honestly, that's, that's why our, like, sub-sub motto is strap in and strap on, because this is yes, what we do. Like, teeny tiny print. Strap in, strap on. <laughs> or, history has never been this tipsy. History has never been this fucking chaotic. <laughs> like, we took tipsy, and we tipped right over the edge. Right. It wasn't so much tipping as it was a free fall. This is 100% chaotic <laughs> neutral, guys. Yes. We're all over the place. Anyway, uh, let me just like get into what we're drinking today. Yes, we're revisiting one of my favorites from my Naked Wines box, Catu, and this is a 2019 Zinfandel. Ooh. What's up, 2019? Remember? Or as I like to call it, PP, pre-pandemic times. <laughs> it's so funny. I, everyone has adopted this weird, like this, this verbalization, like they'll be telling a story about like being at a party. I mean, this was pre-pandemic. The like they always on. have to qualify it or it's like, well, you know, pre-pandemic or like before pre-COVID or, you know, it's like, before oh, the, well. Like the two years that basically didn't happen. Well, and then even people will be like, well, I was, I was like really, you know, into going to this, this club, but you know. Before then the 2020, yeah. like people don't even say, it's just, well, you know, then 2020 and they just leave it at that. Cause we are all like, yeah, we know. I feel like so this is the thing. I don't even, I never have to preface that. Cause I'm just like, I was old and not doing shit pre pandemic. So really <laughs> my life hasn't changed much. Yeah. Well, usually we, you know, get together for holidays. Uh, we didn't, we didn't 
well, last year, because, you know, 2020 and then. Uh, <laughs> last year was 2021. Well, you know what I mean, though. Like, it's this we, <laughs> we it's this thing that we. We did get together for holidays last year. I it was feel like. Nice. I feel like the term 2020 is just going to become this almost blanket term for like, you know how we're like, oh, well, I was going to, but then reasons. Well, I was going to, but then, you know, 2020. <laughs> it's like, no, that, that wasn't 2020. No, 2020 is everything. 2020 is all the reasons that things didn't happen. Anyway, so back to this wine. This is from Lottie, California, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, and I'm damn proud of it. Come at me, California. Lottie's Mediterranean climate and sandy loam soils. Loam? Yes, that's a thing. Is it? Yes. The dirt type. You know what's interesting? Um, Loam is in an episode of BoJack Horseman because one of the characters is writing a rock opera about these, like, digging space people. And he says that they're digging for loam. I thought he made that up to rhyme. Mm-mm. Wow. Okay, so loam is a thing. Cool. Mm-hmm. I learned something today. Anyway, the loam, make it the ideal terrier, farrier. Oh, my God. Do I need to read that? Okay, no. Tell me. Does that say terrier? The second line. Yeah. Okay. I think it means like territory. Yeah, but it's. I'm just imagining like they're growing wine on this tiny yappy dog. I mean, that kind of terrier is spelled with an, an E R at the end, not an O R, but you know what? O I R. Oh, no. It's never a, mind. That, it's spelled the same. Okay. Thank you. Oh, no, 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 no. Terrier, that way, is a French term used to describe environmental factors that affect a crop's phenotype. That goddamn French. <laughs> Terrier, T-E-R-R-I-E-R, is the dog. Okay, well, someone send me a drawing of, like, a grapevine growing out of a dog. Please, I need or that. Or a grapevine dr- growing tiny terriers. That would be better. <gasps> oh, my God. I would get that as a tattoo. I know you Like, would. on my butt or something. I would I love that definitely do You don't even, do like, it. have terriers, but you're like, I would put that I on I do my have body. tiny dogs. All tiny dogs are the same because nope. they're yappy and they're angry. Yes. I have tiny dogs, and they're not yappy and angry. Okay, they're a little yappy. Navi is yappy, but that's because she's afraid. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not always yappy. Anyway, so uh, the Zinfant... For the Zinfandel to grow and produce wines that are rich in flavor yet balanced. Not like a terrier. No. <laughs> this big cat leaps. Oh, I forgot this was a cat themed wine. That makes it funnier. So this big cat leaps out of your glass with boysenberry, blueberry, and peppery spiced aromas and enters the palate with lush fruit forward flavors and silky tannins that expand and intensify as it sits on the palate. They should have come up with a different word for palate. They used it twice in the same sentence. Thanks to the support of the angels, the cats are on the prowl at nakedwines.com. So the funny thing is... Excuse me while I like critique this. We've said the word terrier several times in other Have wines. We? I don't remember it. have just glossed over I d- it. Yeah. Apparently it takes a certain amount of tipsy drunkness for yeah. Emily to be like, wait, dogs? I love I went from completely misunderstanding the wine label to proofreading it. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you need to find something different for palate. You know what I'm proud of, though? I found I found my sexy voice. And even as I'm critiquing it, I did not lose 
My sexy NPR voice. Sexy NPR What's voice. What's up, ASMR fam? I'm going to crack some nuts. I don't know what that means. Remember that ASMR thing we saw where the gal was like cracking nuts and we yeah, were like, that's weird awful. And I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I was like, I'm not it was saying like I'm picking a, picking a date based on their ASMR and it yeah. was like four girls and this guy who like do, actually does ASMR. Yeah. And yeah, her thing was to like crack nuts and it was the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, like I hated it. I, I don't want to be like the armchair ASMR person because I don't like, do it and I don't know anything about it. Thing, but I hated it. But I was like, I feel like you're not doing it right. No. Because <laughs> I, I feel like she wasn't doing it right either because generally I feel like ASMR is supposed to be like quiet and then whatever you're doing and then quiet where she was like crack, 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 crack. Well, it wasn't even okay. Was, first of all, you need to shitty AMR. You need to stop fondling your mic right now. But it was like she put a nut like between her dust, and it was like that. You know, it was just it not was, satisfying. It was like, like if, it, if it was like a singular crack through a nut and not like chewing it, it probably would have been a lot more satisfying. Yeah, should have just been Kelly fondling her mic. That would have been more satisfying, even though actually that made my ears itch. Do not fucking do it. I don't know. That sound doesn't bother me. Uh, you can cut it out. That's anyway, fine. I'm not. I'm leaving all of this in. This is bigger, better, and uncut. Oh, <laughs> anyway, am I going first? Yeah. Shit, I'm going first. Okay. Oh. Who are you whining about? So today... Also, why did you just make that noise? Because I, I had a, a long series of thoughts that happened in a split second where I thought we forgot to do our thankfulness in the last episode. No, so I gasped. Did. And then I remembered we did. But then I realized I had already audibly, like, acknowledged that I gasped. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so today I am covering Sarah Josepha Hale. Ooh, I like that name. So the lay we're about to talk about has touched all of our lives, at least in the United States, and from a very young age. And you know her work, but you don't know her. So this is going to be one of those things where we all know her impact, but we do not know where it came from. Hmm. And I'm going to tell you, the this is going to be like her origin story. Let me get with like the, the really deep like bum bum. I mean, you are our like the audio marble editor. Intro. You could throw something in there instead of just doing it yourself. No, I like doing it myself. I'm a DIY bitch. <laughs> so Sarah Josepha Buell Hale was D- DIB. Do it, bitch. Do it, bitch. <laughs> I'm a DIB. Do it, bitch. <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, DIYB. Do it yourself, bitch. <laughs> That's, that's probably better. I love that. That's what I'm going to do now every time someone asks me to do something. DIYB, do it yourself, bitch. bitch. <laughs> so anyway, Sarah Josepha Buell Hale was born on October 24th in 1788 in Newport, New Hampshire. Oh. <laughs> hey, All right, that's a way to say it. Hey, you know what? I'm an equal opportunity mispronunciator. And, uh... I'm coming after the United States, too. It's not just France. So her parents believed in equal education regardless of sex, which is a long way of saying that they were awesome. Clearly. Sarah's father, Captain Gordon Buell, or Buell, whatever, was a veteran of the American Revolutionary War who instilled a sense of patriotism in her. And, like, 
she you, you we'll find out later she was like a big stand of the United States. She was like super patriotic. She was super all about the US. Probably USA, because her father USA. literally like fought for its independence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I feel like that's something that's just probably got instilled in her. Yeah. So to help support his family, her father opened up a tavern called the Rising Sun Tavern in 1811. Apparently, it's still standing near South Church in Newport, New Hampshire. I couldn't figure out because I am chaos and everyone's going to have to deal with it. So I couldn't figure out what it is now or like, like I even tried Googling like Rising Tavern, Rising Tavern, Newport, New Hampshire. I could not figure Wasn't it out. The Rising Sun Tavern, whatever it was, I googled that. Um, and I couldn't find it, but I did find the South Church, and I went like full Google Street View on that shit and started like dinking around Newport, New Hampshire. <laughs> But there's a suspiciously tavern-looking senior center next to the church. And I'm not saying that it's that, but I'm just saying I hope that it's that it's a senior center now. Because the senior center looks super sketch. Just saying. Like, maybe if you were, like, I don't know, a really bad parent, that's where your kids drop you off or something. I mean, why can't seniors have a drink? Yeah, no, it's like the seniors-only bar. Where they have, you know, just gin-based drinks and cocaine wine and <laughs> whatever what they do drink in the olden days. Do? I think they drink cocaine wine, Kelly. That's what I think. I feel like I'm being very clear about that. I... That's what they used to drink back in the day. They used to drink Coke with Coke in it. Who cares? Yeah, cocaine wine. That's what original Coca-Cola was. I don't think it was wine. Yes, it was. Because it was originally it was, I mean, a patent it was, it medicine. It was a medicine, but I don't think it was wine. It was wine. It was cocaine wine. It that was, sounds disgusting. No wonder it made you feel better, though, because you were drunk and high all at the same time. I really don't think it was wine. No, I... We're not... Just finish your story. I fucking get... Everyone is Googling it right now, and they're like... Oh, wow. Emily kind of knew what she was talking about. Good for her. I think she needs this. (laughs) So anyway, Sarah was homeschooled by her mother, Martha Whittlesey-Buell, and her brother, Horatio, who had graduated from Dartmouth. So like kind of a BFD. So whatever knowledge she didn't gain from school, Sarah taught herself. Being such a voracious nerd led Sarah to become the only thing an educated woman at the time could be, a school teacher. She met a lawyer named David Hale, and the two were married in her father's tavern on October 23rd, 1813. (laughs) Don't you question me about my weird old-timey substances. It's it's obviously changed a lot, but yeah, it used used to be a coca-based wine product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, patent medicines were booze and poison and oil. Lots of poison. Yep. But yeah, so, oh, you know what? I just realized she got married the day before her birthday because she was born on October 24th and she got married on October 23rd. And I hope she was cool with that because I'd want to like, I don't know, spread it out. Like I'd want to get married at a time where I have nothing else to celebrate. My father-in-law literally got married like on his birthday because that's what he wanted for his birthday. Oh, that's actually And then his son got married on his birthday and anniversary. 
it's just a really big day for everyone. It is. There's a lot of things I need to write on Facebook on one day. Jesus Christ. I hope you write the same celebratory generic message and you just like swap out the name. I write one post and just tag everyone. Cheers to you on this happiest of days. All of you. At person at one, at person Gamble two, family. at person three. Um, so she was married in 1813 in her father's tavern, which I think is super cute. And they would have five children. And by all accounts, David was super supportive of Sarah's scholarly pursuits. And he was like, yeah, girl, nerd it up. Then tragically, he died after only nine years of marriage. Only the good die young. Don't sue me. It's parody. But yeah, I don't know. I'm like, oh man, we get this like super cool supportive husband, and there's he dies. Like that would fuck. suck. I can't have anything. <laughs> the well, un- this is why I can't have good things. The universe hates me. The universe killed David Hale in the 1800s just to spite me, an unrelated person in 2022. Yep, this had you were nothing like, to do with Sarah. I just want to tell this story. Yep, I just want it to be a happy story, and it's not because the universe is a bitch. So as a sign of mourning, Sarah would wear black for the rest of her life, which is also like peak fashion choice. Black goes with everything. and It's very slimming. Now, Sarah, a widow with five children to support, needed to find a way to make some cash. Ever the literati, Sarah began writing poetry to supplement her income. Literati. Yeah. Literati. She like... A literature version of the Illuminati. Now, literati is like... I know what literati means, but, like, <laughs> that's what it made me think of. Is Illuminati she's a, she's, literati. Yeah, she's a literature version of the Illuminati. Yeah. I, li- I, like, I, like, actually really love that idea. Where, um... To just a secret book club to overthrow the world is to, fine. To find it. No, it's, it's, like, to preserve banned books. And to get in, you have to read the code in the the like ca- the checkout card of library books mm-hmm. like based on the to, names like, yeah, and the dates find it, like fahrenheit 451 and, like a yeah. whole bunch of other books and there's this like i kind of want to do that now. oh my god can we can we come up with our own weird dewey decimal code even though mm-hmm. dewey decimal was kind of a piece of shit mm-hmm. cool we're gonna do a Dewey Decimal cipher, and it's gonna it's gonna spell out POS. Who wants to do like a random like book <laughs> giveaway? Because I kind of do. Oh my god! We'll just give you guys random banned books by female authors. Love it. So her first collection of poems, "The Genius of Oblivion." Oh, oh god! <laughs> I know that got real dark and this emo is, real quick. Oh my a, god! You're you're bringing me back to high school. This is definitely a chick who wore black for the rest of her life. Um, so she published this in 1823 and I couldn't find, I love her on the same page. I couldn't find any info on what kind of poems these were, but I'm just going to say it sounds like the name of every emo middle schooler short story. <laughs> it was like that one the kid name in the of high their that sits in like the back corner that doesn't talk to anyone. As I raise my, yeah, right. Both of us. <laughs> we were all that kid at some point. We were all that stupid kid writing terrible poetry thinking we were deep. My life is a black abyss. I am the genius of oblivion. Anyways, continue, please. Okay. So four years later, Sarah published her first novel. Whoa. Yeah. Very good. Northwood, or Life North and South, showing the true character of both. 
It's a very long title. Did, did she live in both the North and the South? So this was during a time where the North and the South were notoriously not getting along super yeah, well. Yeah, but did she live There in were both? tensions. No. Oh. Um, so you can still find the book online, but apparently trying to find a quick summary is too much to ask of the internet. I found a bunch of very unimpressed reviews. They're like, oh, no, I mean, I guess for the times it was okay. <laughs> It's like, I'm sorry, this isn't Fifty Shades of Grey. Excuse me. (laughs) Sorry that she doesn't talk about her inner goddess. Also, I love that there are people who are looking up a book from the 1800s, reading it, and then reviewing it. And and then they're like... By today's standards. I don't know. It was kind of like, it was whatever. It's nothing to write home about. And I'm like, but it's something to write the internet about, apparently. (laughs) I just thought that was super Like, I like that you spent this time to not only find the book... But to read it and then tell everyone on the internet, it was okay, I guess. Yep. Like, your opinion is that important. <laughs> what I can tell you is that her book discussed the disparate lives of Northerners and Southerners in the United States and tackled the issue of slavery. Shocking. I would have never guessed by that title. I know. We we didn't think it was going in that direction no, at all. No, I thought it was going to be another email poem. Yep. North, South, East, West. Nothing what exists in oblivion. <laughs> I am the genius in the oblivion. Simeon. Give in. Fade to black. Fade to black. (laughs) It just starts snapping. So Sarah was decidedly anti-slavery, and she wrote about how basically it not only dehumanizes those forced into slavery, but also those who engage in it. Like, you can't engage in that kind of violence and retain your humanity. You can't enslave other people and maintain your humanity like you become a monster this is making my psych heart very happy okay good i don't know kelly's like gripping her I know, cheeks and i couldn't tell if she was like making me think of the stanford prison experiment oh god yeah and it's just like my little psych heart is so happy so she also wrote about how like it just leads to the world's decay i mean like obviously. okay because you're, you're dehumanizing everyone you're dehumanizing the victims you're dehumanizing the people who are engaging are dehumanizing themselves and like the world is just a shit show and we should fucking knock it off yeah hot take she wrote quote the great error of those who would sever the union rather than see a slave within its borders is that they forget the master is their brother as well as the servant and that the spirit which seeks to do good to all and evil to none is the only true Christian philosophy. She's like, just don't be a dick. Like, we're all human. We should all love each other and stop, like, creating these divides. So don't be a dick. Because that's what Jesus wants. So this makes sense because, like I said, Sarah Sarah was a a stand for the U.S. and the Union of the North and the South, something she probably inherited from her father, who literally fought for the independence of the United States. Just saying. Hmm. Instead of promoting British literature, uh, she was which was like very commonly reprinted in the United States and like in publications. They basically is it's actually kind of like what we do today. We're like, oh, the. England came out with a show called The Office. We're going to make The American Office. Except they weren't even making their own versions. They were just reprinting it. She actually advocated for publications by American authors that espoused the American experience and culture. Because she's like, hey, we're our own country now. Let's, like, craft our own identity. Which I get. That being said, Sarah's views on how to address slavery were definitely a product of their time. 
she supported freeing enslaved people and sending them to Liberia, the newly formed American colony in West Africa. Now called the Republic of Liberia, it was created by the American Colonization Society to relocate black people with the, with the idea that they would have better success in Africa rather than the U.S. So it's like this, a really simple way of putting it is like, it's an attempt to control Z slavery. Like, ooh, we shouldn't have enslaved everyone and brought you here. We're going to send you back. You're going to get your own country. You get to do your own thing. And you don't have to be here anymore. Hmm. Versus the, hey, you were born in the United States. You should be equal citizens to everyone else. And there were plenty of people who were like, yeah, I'm going to go to Liberia. That So, like, I'm not dissing the choice, but it was kind of... It's like no one knew what to do about slavery and the idea of just making freed black people equal citizens was a little too extreme for some people. So this almost seemed like a a weird compromise. Like, okay, okay, okay. I get you take issue with that. What if we just send them back? <laughs> sure, I guess. Yeah. But I mean that was that was a a, a thing at the time. That was a stance. So the book was a huge success and attracted the attention of Reverend John Blake, who offered Sarah a job in Boston as editor of his journal, Ladies Magazine. Sarah accepted on the condition that her title wouldn't be editor, rather editress. And I kind of love that because nowadays we definitely have this trend of gender neutral or like not gendering terms. Like we say actor instead of actress. You know? Yeah. Um, but back then, I think it was important for her to have that distinction. Like, I'm a woman and I'm doing this. You know? Because being out there was the important thing versus, you know, being on the same level. And I'm not saying either stance is wrong. Right. But it's de- it's interesting to see how that view has changed and the societal factors that have affected kind of the way people view that. So I think it's cool. She's like, no, I'm an editress. I'm an editor who's a woman and everyone's going to deal with that and be confronted with it. It's on my business cards. Of her new position, feminist writer John Neal wrote, we hope to see the day when she editors... <laughs> Feeling a lot better about that she word. Editors. I'm feeling a lot better about Shedders. the word sheditors. <laughs> Those who shed. Uh, I'm me? feeling a lot better about editress. Because <laughs> the I alternative. Like well, that's what she wanted to be called, but he's saying she editors. I like. No, I like hers better. Yeah. So, anyway, we hope to see the day when she editors will be as common as he editors. <laughs> At least he's an equal opportunity, like terrible namer that person. is true like at least he wasn't just like editor and she editor yeah like um i'll I'm, give him that this one. is actually a really nice quote and i'm just dumping all over it um and when our women of all ages will be able to maintain herself without being obliged to marry for bread it's like man it will be great when we have gender equality and women, and women don't, don't have, have to marry to, to be provided for yeah it's that like sorry i cut you off we hope to see that it's gonna be super great good good on you man for actually saying that so the next time your racist or sexist relative shoots off their mouth just remind them that this dude was woke af in the 1800s right yeah like people existed back then that were like hey yeah women are people too 
Hot takes. She editors. Shedders. Same as he editors. Shedders. Headers. <laughs> we what? all we all just want to critique the back of wine bottles and mispronounce ed- French. What ed- editors and editresses? Editors, editresses, and edit-exes. For the non-gendered editors. That's beautiful. Edit people. Edit people of editing. I guess editor isn't necessarily gendered. It's not. But at this time, if you were an editor, you were a dude. Like, yeah. it was just kind I of mean, that. that's kind of how everything was back yeah. then. So Sarah used her new position to advocate for women's education and the right to own properties. So, as she said, quote, Not that they may usurp the situation or encroach upon the prerogatives of man, but that each individual may lend her aid to the intellectual and moral character of those within her sphere. So basically, you know, it's like not like we're not going for a matriarchy here, but just like women should be educated enough and independent enough to like be able to influence those around them and like have an intelligent conversation. That being said, Sarah's story is a bit of an up and down. She was not like a raging feminist by any means. While she did advocate for education in her writing, she also reinforced traditional gender roles and the virtues of middle-class white women. Even when she encouraged women to push the barriers of traditional gender roles, she advocated for doing it in a way that was still in line with standard femininity. So, for example, she would encourage women to write novels, but said that they should be morally uplifting. Like, no, 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 write novels, but do it, like, in a really girly, socially acceptable way. Right. Write write girl porn. Yeah. Not actual porn. Yeah. And uh, one one of her quotes, quote, uh, while the ocean of political life is heaving and raging with a storm of partisan passions. Okay, this is is girl porn. Uh, Among the men of America... Women, as the true conservators of, of peace and goodwill, should be careful to cultivate every gentle feeling. So she's basically like, men, it, it, it's interesting because she's kind of being like, men are the ones who are like, they're really over emotional and overly passionate and like they're whipping their political dicks up into a storm. Right, like everyone's got their dicks up. And it's our job, though, to like be the coolers, to come in and be like, okay. Okay, let's like, all just re- reel them back in. Yep. We are the pillars of virtue. We're going to make everything super chill, and then no one's going to listen to us. So, like, yeah, yeah women need to be the cool, calm, collected pillars of virtue. And that's like their job in society. More disappointing, and this part really made me sad Sarah didn't support women's suffrage. I can I can kind of write off the gender role thing as like, well, I'm sure that worked for her. Also, that was very much in line with the times, but she didn't support women's right to vote. She may actually be, if not the first, one of the first women that we've covered that didn't support suffrage when it's come up. Yeah, that's true. No, I think we had like one other, but it's it's very few and far between. Yeah. Instead, she felt that the quote secret silent influence of women was enough to influence male voters and therefore by basically give women a say anyway so it's like men are coming home and the woman's like oh well i don't really know about that you know buchanan guys i don't know he just wraps me the wrong way why don't you think about that husband who can actually cast a vote for both of us let's talk about some politics in bed honey yeah like hopefully you'll listen to me and take my opinion into consideration bullshit 
Yeah, you just subtly influence them. Yeah. Now, because, like, that's a huge fucking bummer, we're going to discuss what is probably Sarah's most notable achievement. Mm-hmm. And everyone's going to flip their shit. In 1830, Sarah published another book of poetry, decidedly less emo this time. Are you sure? <laughs> Poems for our children. <laughs> and she wasn't being sarcastic. It was oh, literally, okay. po- it wasn't like, Poems for our children. Suckling at the teat of nuclear holocaust. <laughs> what is mutually assured destruction? Let's talk about that. <laughs> so in this collection, uh, Sarah included the poem, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Oh, shit! <laughs> it, took, it took Kelly a whole, where she's kind of like, her eyes flashed up at me for a second. She's like, did you? I'm oh, like, did shit. you just say that? Like, that's what she's known for? Shit. For those of you who may not be familiar, please don't. Mary had a little okay. lamb, and its fleece was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. It followed her to school one day, which was against the rule. It made the children laugh and play to see a lamb at school. Like, same. I saw a skunk on the playground, and I lost my mind. I was, luckily, I was working with the baby room, so I was just holding two babies. I'm like, I'm working. I'm working. This is fine as I'm looking out the window at the skunk running around the playground. Like, what's that little fucker up to? You're like, someone's going to stink. Yeah, luckily, I mean, there were no children on the playground. It was fine, but it was really cool. Anyway, see how distracted I'm getting thinking about a skunk on the playground? Imagine how much these kids flipped out over a lamb at school. Oh my god, that'd be so cute. Which is probably why. And so the teacher turned it out. But still it lingered near and waited patiently about till Mary did appear. Oh. Why does the lamb love Mary so? The eager, ch- eager children cry. Why Mary loves the lamb, you know, the teacher did reply. You know, I've never heard like most of that rhyme so it later i don't put this in my notes but later it was put on to put to music and then the repetition was added where it's like mary had a little lamb little lamb little lamb so that's kind of the the version like, we all know but this is the even straight when up i've poem. heard the poem i've only heard that first verse oh really yeah oh well now you know that mary loves her lamb and the lamb loves her and it's actually really it's wholesome and cute, sweet yeah it's one of those nursery rhymes where i'm like Oh, this is actually just like really cute. There's no underlying Let's darkness. Get real creepy about it. Let's not. <laughs> so not only did this is this poem ingrained in all of us from childhood, but it was apparently based on a true story. <laughs> so remember how Sarah was a school teacher back in the day? So apparently she had an actual student named Mary who strolled into class with her very own fucking lamb. They see me rolling. They hating. <laughs> Trying to, ca- lamb. trying to catch me riding fleecy. Trying to catch oh. me riding fleecy. <laughs> That's good. Um, so because the lamb in school, because the lamb in school is distracting, Sarah yeah. said that the lamb needed to get the fuck out of class. But the lamb hung around the school until the end of the day. But not, but not even this delightful little poem about a lamb was without controversy. Are you fucking kidding me? So decades later, in 1876, a now geriatric Mary Tyler came forward, claiming to be the titular Mary from the poem. And according to her, she definitely brought Lamb to school, as one does. But of course. Im- yeah, you know that. Honestly, like, that's not even the part that surprises me. I'm like, I don't know, I'm imagining, like, a rural school in the 1800s. I'm surprised everyone didn't have their designated 
farm animal companion. Like, they're all Disney characters who have their little animal friend following them around, helping them out of jams. (laughs) I mean, that's what Arthur is to me, basically, except he destroys my hands. Right. It's like old school um, emotional support animals. Yeah. This is my emotional support chicken. Um, (laughs) Don't worry about it. Please don't look him in the eye, though. He gets a little touchy about that. Yeah, he's he's very sensitive. Actually, I'm emotionally supporting him. Right, right. No, 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 no. He's not my emotional support chicken. He's just an emotional support chicken. I emotionally support him. Yeah, he's... um he's just real angry. He's seen some shit. Also, I love we're calling the chicken a him. I just assume. I don't know why. Angry you know chicken. Actually, technically, a chicken's a female. But, you that, know. That's why I'm saying. I know. Yeah. So you know, anyway. if men can be super sexist about women, we can be sexist about chickens. Bingo. So she she did bring the lamb to school, but a man who was visiting the school from Sterling, Massachusetts, was the one who wrote the first three stanzas of the poem. And Mary claimed that the man had given her a piece of paper with the original poem on it. So there, she's saying... She's saying, like, yeah, I marry, I deaf brought a lamb to school... But Sarah's not the one that wrote the poem. It was this other dude. Bullshit. No, like the weird thing is, she's not even saying that the poem isn't true. She's just like, no, I mean, like bullshit. Like Sarah didn't write it. There is no evidence that proves Sarah's story or Mary's. The slip of paper that Mary insisted was given to her was never found. And the man who allegedly wrote it, who is name, I didn't include his name in here because no one really cares. Um, But he, he, it's not like this mysterious man who disappeared. Like, we know who he is. He's like this He has a name. Dude. We know where he's from. He never came forward and was like, yeah, actually, I wrote it. So Sarah's poem is also the earliest written record of the story that we know. So I'm kind of like. Well, I mean, even if the guy did write like the first three lines, like she made like a whole thing out of it. It's not just he. She was like, this is three lines. I did this. This is my original poem. I'm also just going to say, I also 100% believe that multiple Marys did bring lambs to school in the 1800s. And like maybe Mary totally brought a lamb to school one day and some dude started to write a poem about it. But I don't think this was an isolated (laughs) This is just one of those weird, weird times in histories where everyone's like bringing their lambs to school. So despite this, many places in Sterling, Massachusetts, the hometown of the alleged male author, have staked their claim to the legend. There's a statue of Mary's lamb in the town center. Of course there is. The school where this allegedly happened was preserved and Mary's house was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2000 before being destroyed by an arsonist in 2007. What a dick. I will say, like, Sterling, Massachusetts. Have you ever heard of it? Nope. No. No. So they're they're bringing in those tourist bucks. They got to do something here. I respect the hustle. Also, when Thomas Edison recorded the first speech on his phonograph, which was the first speech ever recorded on the phonograph, he opened it with the first lines of Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's how... Iconic that poem yes, Yeah. That we're still... We still know it. I st- would still sing it to a kid in 2022, and it was written in the 1800s. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a grim fairy tale. Like, I'm pretty sure it appeared in Mother Goose's, like, nursery rhyme book. Yeah, like, I mean, it appears in any of those, like, yeah, it's, shit it, to it, sing I would, to kids. I would say it's, it's considered a classical nursery rhyme. Like, Old Mother Hubbard and all of those. Yeah, 100%. 
So in addition to getting Mary Had a Little Lamb stuck in our heads forever, Sarah nice. also used her writing to advocate for a little-known holiday called Thanksgiving. Ever I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yes, this like, bitch. the fuck did that come this from? This bitch has touched our lives in so many ways, and we had no fucking idea that this blew my mind. Because here's the thing. She's always billed as the lady who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb. Oh, also, she also kind of made Thanksgiving a thing. <laughs> just, just, you know. In fact, she has been credited with leading the charge for making Thanksgiving a national holiday, which means wow. I can blame her for the turkey 20 that I gain every year. Starting in 1847, Sarah fought for Thanksgiving for 17 fucking years, even writing letters to five presidents. The final president she wrote to one Mr. Abraham Lincoln apparently finally did the trick. The man who, two years into the American Civil War, took a minute to tell everyone that the last Thursday in November would be recognized as, quote, a day of Thanksgiving. Mm. He is, the, the country is literally falling apart, and he's like, by the, the way, guys. Thanksgiving, let's do Give it. it. <laughs> Give the thanks. I think we all need something to be kind of okay Probably. about. Yeah. Let, let it just be stuffing our faces, please, and being thankful for that opportunity. This became official in 1870 when Congress made Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Day, and Independence Day national holidays. Mm. Franklin Delano Roosevelt adjusted the schedule so that Thanksgiving would be on the third Thursday of November instead of the last. And this was meant to extend the Christmas shopping season to better, well, capitalism, but also to better support businesses that were affected by the Great Depression. So he's yeah. kind of trying to like... Yeah, he, he, was, the he, was, he was really good about, like, trying to get the economy back Yeah, on he's, like, track. priming the economic pump. <sighs> um, people I just got the weirdest mental image. Yep. Good. Uh, also, give me, a, give me an illustration of that. Maybe I'll get that tattooed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a maybe. So people threw a fucking fit about this. Like, you, no, no, about you can't. About Thanksgiving? About moving the day so it was earlier in November. So it was the third Thursday instead of the last. Which, at first I was like, that's, like, who the fuck cares? No one actually knows when Thanksgiving is anyway until they look at the calendar. But then I was like, no, I 100% believe that. Because it was was this, like, how dare you mess with tradition? Oh, yeah. No, I get it. You know this holiday isn't, like, that fucking old. You know a lady who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb was like... Hey, can we have this holiday? Then, you know, like, <laughs> and it Congress kind had to of make it celebrates a like a terrible human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's some sad shit. Uh, so anyway, it I think it got moved back to the last Thursday mm-hmm. in November, which it's it stayed now. But I'm like, oh my god. Anyway, third Thursday of November. No, I actually had to look it up because okay. it is November twenty fourth this year, which is the last Thursday in November. Because I double checked, I was oh, like, so, wait, okay, so they they moved it to the third Thursday, and then people, people got lo- real mad, and so moved, they moved they it mo- back. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think it was FDR specifically who was like, fine, Jesus Christ, I'm just trying to like help your businesses. I'm just gonna get real drunk. Yeah, I've had a bad week. <laughs> no, go for it. So because of Sarah's tireless campaigning, we can all now stuff our faces and be thankful. And she was dubbed the mother of Thanksgiving. That's insane. Like, <laughs> I don't understand how, like, Mary had a little lamb 
the genius of oblivion and Thanksgiving all got rolled into one woman. She was a woman of many layers. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, it kind of makes sense. So, you know, she was a school teacher. She was a mother, you know, so you kind of get that like caregiving side of her with Mary had a little lamb. I just wonder why, like out of all the things she could campaign for, she was like, we need to celebrate Thanksgiving, guys. It was, it was also because she was so concerned with keeping the union together because this was during the this was also during the american civil war and the south was trying to break away and she's like this is something that we can all bond over this is something we can all get behind the union was the south no yes yeah no the union the confederacy was the south jesus christ kelly i know but like when you say trying to keep the union together the union was the whole thing like the union of the united states even Abraham Lincoln referred to it like as the union, the country. Well, whatever. She's trying to keep the country together. Because I'm only I'm only saying that because it did split into the Union and the Confederacy. Right. So, like the fact that you're like she's trying to keep the Union together. I'm like, okay, the Northern states were together. Yeah, but the Union was also the United States because the South was trying to become their own thing. When they so succeeded she, very briefly. Yeah, for like two hot seconds. And there's still a lot of people that are like, you know, maybe Texas should. And the then South I'm like, will no, stop again. it. Because then I couldn't go visit Kena without a passport. Oh, mine expired. I need to get oh, on that. Oh, mine expired too. I mine expired like, because what, passports are good for 10 years? Yeah. So mine expired in 2019, but technically it expired when I got married. Oh, that's I right, because your my name, name changed. Yeah, mine just expired I finally like last found year. it. <laughs> Which is nice, because it makes it a lot easier to renew it then, because you just bring in your old one. Yeah, I should do that. Anyway. Let me know, and I'll go with you. Yeah. Renew mine. But yeah, I mean, so she's got that caregiving side. Yeah. She's also suffered serious loss with, like, losing her husband. She literally wears black for the right. rest of her life. So there's the genius of oblivion. But then her father I know, but she is this the avid patriot. Of, yeah, which She I also wrote the genius of oblivion right after exactly. her husband died. Exactly. Like, that makes sense. And yeah. the Marietta Little Lamb makes sense. And then... I don't know. I feel like Thanksgiving, you all of a sudden were like, oh, by the way. I don't. So even though Thanksgiving is like, it's an American holiday. It it's is, not like Christmas. But it just, it still seems like it came out of left field. I, I, I understand that. But it's kind of about the founding of like the United States, exactly. it, the European settlers first coming you ha- over. You have to think about like when she was trying to get it. You know, she was like, guys, like, let's celebrate the founding of this country and let's let's, be let's all be together and, you know, be thankful. Yeah, I, I do get it. But I'm just just like when you first said it, I was like, what? Brief lambs, turkey. Exactly. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday I mean, at why, the Honda Center. Why, why didn't she suggest that the the meal be like euros or something? Well, uh, being, I don't I'm, know. No, you you get my train. Yes. Of okay. So she also fought to preserve George Washington's Mount Vernon plantation because history. Yep. So she was a history lover. Uh, Sarah also raised $30,000 for the Bunker Hill Monument in Boston. And when construction stalled due to insufficient funds, she asked her readers to start mailing in dollar bills. 
to get the monument built, and she made it rain. She also hosted I have a week. Google what the yeah. burial monument is. Uh, she also hosted a week long craft fair slash bake sale to Aww. raise money. Yeah, so I, I saw in one uh, article where it was like she was like Oprah Winfrey and Martha Stewart combined, except right. it was like you get a monument, you get a monument, you give me money. <laughs> So Sarah would retire as editress in 1877 and died on April 30th in 1879, so just a couple of years later, at 90 years old. This chick lived. And she's buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where, as we know, it's always sunny. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, Philadelphia. Yeah, that's where she was buried. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. No, I know Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania, but you didn't say Philadelphia. Yes, I did. You just said Pennsylvania. No, I. she's buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I did not. All I heard was she was buried at Laurel Hill Cemetery in Pennsylvania, where it's always sunny. And I'm like, th- you skipped a step, Emily. Okay, I'm just going to note that maybe about three minutes ago, Kelly was like, I'm going to get super drunk. And now she's like, <laughs> I don't even remember you saying that anymore. <laughs> Like, like no. I'm the one that doesn't know what's going it's, it's on. Not, it's not that I don't think you said it. I just missed. Uh, for some reason, all I heard was Laurel Hill Cemetery in in Pennsylvania. And I'm like, I'm like, I know it's always sunny in Philadelphia, but you just said Pennsylvania. And then you were like, Pennsylvania or Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm like, yes, I know Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania, Emily. Just the look you gave me. I wish I could have recorded it because you were like, what kind of bullshit is this bitch spitting i really hope when you edit this you're like oh shit i didn't say philadelphia well i'm never gonna tell you and you're never gonna listen so i probably won't even remember it's fine yep legacy sarah was all about historical preservation abolition women's education and preserving the union i said it again of the united states boom but inarguably her enduring legacy is a nursery rhyme about a lamb and a turkey-based holiday. Which is really just the pregame for Black Friday. Snaps. <laughs> Snap, Sarah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought that was super cool because I was like, no, that is. holy shit, this chick has been in every area like, of my life. Your entire story up until Mary had a little lamb, when you were like, oh, I know. Like, you're like, you know this chick. You just don't know yeah. you know this chick. And I'm like... But like up until Marion Alina Lamb, I'm like, I don't like, think I know this chick. No, yeah. When you first were like the genius of oblivion, I'm like, okay, like, is this gonna be some like dark author that I didn't realize like wrote under a pseudonym? Actually, the genius to oblivion is the prequel to Twilight. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> oh God. She yeah, just that really was likes um, to talk about her inner goddess. It's yeah, fine. that was uh, that was the. Uh, prequel that was the rough draft that was the middle school version and then she she toned it down a little bit <laughs> a, a lot of it anyway yeah all the goddess references. that is that is story of the editress who had a little lamb with a side Ooh. of turkey <laughs> or a turkey on a little lamb a very know. thanksgiving story <laughs> which is why i was like maybe i should have saved this for thanksgiving but fuck it a, a turlamin a lurky, lurky turkey. Yeah, I mean, 
turkeys do kind of lurk like if you think about yeah. it like they yeah. they they got like they're a little shady like when they're they're going around like doing the thrust they, they're like they just like hang out on the side uh, of the road like uh, what up i love turkeys i've actually been talking about turkeys all week at work turkeys are weird um i turkeys think they're hilarious they're hilarious and they're incredibly violent they're everything i'm about <laughs> it's like the opposite of a manatee like who looks like they would like just fuck you up and they're yeah. They are the most docile and trusting creatures. Did you know it's illegal to touch a manatee? Not because they're going to hurt you, but because we, they are so trusting of people that it is illegal to touch a manatee because we're going to fuck them over, not they're going to fuck us over. You know what I really want to do right now? Go pet a manatee? Because I, that's what I want to do. No, I, I want to just... Th- you know how, like, when you see manatees in documentaries and people just feed them? You throw them at lettuce. You throw them heads of lettuce, and I want to give a manatee a head there, of lettuce. Are there manatees off the Texan coast? Is there... Okay, first of all, we are not going to be anywhere near them. We are we'll smack dab in the middle of, like, <laughs> Texas. We're going to look in all directions. There's going to be more Texas for ages. We're going to forget there's something outside of Texas. You can drive from one end of Texas to the other. In like It takes over 12 hours. Yeah, you can drive for 12 hours and still be in Texas. Apparently, there are parts of Texas that you can occasionally see manatees in. Shut up. Yeah. That's amazing. Apparently, we're not going there. It's viewed as their manatee summer vacation. Oh, because usually they, they spend a lot of their time in colder water. So some, but sometimes they'll swim down to like the Florida or Texas and the coast or the Gulf. Yeah, yeah, and it's viewed as their summer vacation. I'm like, I want a summer vacation with a manatee. Is there a website where I can buy a manatee ahead of lettuce? Probably. And then At like, me. and then like. Get sent a video of the manatee being fed. I really want oh, that now. Oh, you know, okay, you know around Valentine's Day where you can donate to a zoo and they'll name a cockroach after, like, oh, your ex? Oh, that's disgusting. I no. hate cockroaches. Well, but they name the cockroach after, like, someone you don't like. Like, you get to pick the name and then they feed it to the animals. I, is it bad that you say that? And I'm like, I know exactly what I would name that everyone, fucking cockroach. Everyone has a cockroach, but I want to name right, a head guys. of lettuce and feed it to a manatee. <laughs> Everyone send us their names and we're going to get, we're going to, we're not going to get cockroaches because I'm sorry. That would disgust me. No, we'll, me. we'll donate to but a we'll zoo or like, something. We'll like buy an entire colony of cockroaches that'll be known as the funerary cult. And it'll just be like all of these people we hate. The funerary cult roaches. Yes. Or cock cultists. <laughs> Cock cultists. I feel like that gives a, gives the wrong impression. I don't care. It's fantastic. The that funerary be, cock cultists. That would be oh, a really great um, Valentine's Day celebration. That would be great. Yeah. All right, guys. February next year. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Well, Kelly, my darling, my dear, what are you thankful for other than manatees eating lettuce? Are we just going to completely skip my woman? Oh, shit. You say I'm drunk. <laughs> Emily's like, what are you thankful for? Let's go do other shit. Okay, it's because I went second last time. And so yeah, I we, thought I we was We rotate, like, Emily. I know, but it's been a it's been a really long week. It's been I'm a hot tired. minute. It's been a hot Well, thank you, Emily. Now that you try to skip my woman. Excuse me. Me. Hey. Elizabeth Fry is just not good enough for emily you know what i'm just over here trying to preserve the union (laughs) (laughs) 
And Kelly's just like creating conflict. Um, let's split it again. <laughs> Anyways, it's kind of, you'll see. Anyway, I was like, that's, that's a theme. Um, anyway, so Elizabeth Fry, we're, we're hopping across the pond. Tell me she's a French fry. Damn it. Damn it. That would be great. But that means she's a chip. I think she does. Well, I don't know if she goes to France. I don't remember. She's a chip, though. Yes. Cool. So Elizabeth Fry was born in Gurney Court off of Magdalen Street in Norwich, which is a village in England. So we're across the pond. A pond, prawn, the prawn, the prawn. They do have prawn favorite flavored lays that over is there. True, they're and excellent. they're actually pretty good. Yeah, like I'm not a huge fan of like fish flavored things, but those are actually pretty good. Oh, they're really good. Anyways, so she was born into. We're, we're revisiting my religion from like two episodes ago, and she was born into a very Quaker family. Oh, Yay, Quakers. Quakers. Anyways. So she was actually born into a family called the Gurneys. So remember, she was born in Gurney Court. So like, it was, this is back when like a lot of families lived in very close, like proximity to each mm-hmm. other. So like, it was an area that her family oh, lived in. Anyways. The Gurneys of the Gurney Court Gurneys. <laughs> and you can tell that she was all, like in a decently well off family because she lived in Earlham Hall. Like her family home was named. Yeah, my house is named too. It's called Welcome to My House. Limited control. Nah. See, that's yours and mine mine is my house. In the middle of my street. My house. Because it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is in the middle of your fucking street. <laughs> Anyways, um so apparently her like family home is now part of a university. So oh, like that's kind of cool. Anyways. Her father was John Gurney, who was um, a partner at Gurney's Bank, which I don't think exists anymore. But her mother was from um, a very well-to-do family known, known as the Barclay family, mm. who was one of the founders of Barclays Bank, which I think is still around today. Oh, the Barclays of Barclays Bank, Bank Barclays. Yeah. Blah, so blah, blah, she came from blah. a very well-off family. They were kind of BFDs. Exactly. Um, her mother died when she was very young, 12 years old, and... Um, as one of the eldest um, females in the family, um, Elizabeth was actually like partly responsible for the care and education of her younger siblings. That tended to happen when yeah. like a mother figure died. Zero surprise um, here. So she raised two, like particularly two of her younger siblings were Joseph Gurney, um, who became a philanthropist philanthropist later in life. A full-on rapist? Yeah. No. <laughs> What's up? It's always sunny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of her sisters, Louisa, who would become a writer on education. So we're not going to talk the about them Louisa. literally anymore. But like I was like, she, you know, she helped raise her siblings and they actually like did shit with their lives. Yeah, Louisa went and lifted a bunch of donkeys and it was great. She did deal with a lot of pressure, she though. Did. <laughs> but you know what? She she overcame. She did. Um, so according to her diary, which um, did get preserved after her death, which is great. Um, Elizabeth was... Um, very moved by various preachers she heard throughout her life, such as Priscilla, Hannah Gurney, hmm, family, uh, Deborah Darby, and William Savory. So she she tended to be a lot more religious than the rest of her family and, like, the teachings of, like, so, like, Quakers very much believed in, like, helping others mm-hmm. and, like, giving yourself to people less fortunate. Yeah. So even though, like, both of her parents came from wealthy banking families, 
and they were a little bit less inclined to help the poor. She was very much like, you know, these are the teachings of my religion and this is what I'm going to do. I I was going to say, I think it's interesting that like she's the most religious one in a Quaker family. Yeah. Like she comes along and everyone's like, whoa, she's like, (laughs) you're too much. Like, hey, I love God, but she loves God. She would meet and marry Joseph Fry, who shockingly was a banker. <laughs> um, and like a very distant cousin on one side of her family. But you know what? You know, it's the 1800s. We've discussed grosser. Right. So he was also a Quaker. And when they married, she was 20 years old. And they married on August 19th in 1800. So only like a few days after my wedding, but like many, many years before. There you um, go. Which is so they married at a place called Norwich Goat Lane Friends House. I'm sorry. Yep. Okay. You know there's a problem when the Goat Lane is not the most unsettling part of a name. Mm. Goat Lane Friends House mm-hmm. was Goat Lane the person? I don't know. Um, was so it many was it questions. Goat Lane's? friend's house like oh well it was goat lanes or did they name it goat um, lane because that's where like people herded their goats down yeah but then friend's house was it because they were like that's my friend he has the goats he herds them down this lane <sighs> <laughs> anyways hold on we're gonna crack this no <laughs> so they got married there but then they moved to saint mildred's court uh in london so they moved they moved from like kind of like a a city in England to the center of England, London. Okay. Okay. Uh, she would go on to become a Quaker minister uh, of the Religious Society of Friends. You mean a ministress? Ministress. <laughs> um, and this was in 1811. So, like, literally, we're key 1900s at this point. Um, so, Joseph and Elizabeth lived. Wait. Um, did you... Isn't it? Isn't it the? Isn't it the year after? Or is it the seventeen hundreds? Is the okay? 1800s? No, it would be the century. Oh yeah, it would be the nineteenth. We're in the nineteenth century, but you the eighteen hundreds. The eight. You said well, so it's like eighteen eleven. So like key nineteen. I meant I meant nineteenth century. <laughs> okay. Um. So Joseph and Elizabeth uh lived in the Plashet House in East Ham. I don't know where East Ham is, but I kind of just want to live there. Anyways. Oh, it's um, you know, to the right of West Ham. Yeah. Just, just just a little south, south of, of Northam, Northam but just, north just barely, of Southam. Like right right yeah. there. Anyways, uh, they would eventually move to the Cedars, uh, and they would have 11 children. Jesus Christ. Five sons and six daughters. And like when I did this research, like every single time I found it, it was like a bullet list of children. But I'm like, I don't care enough to list all of these children. This isn't their story. Exactly. But as a young young bride and mother, she would give medicine and clothes to the homeless and help establish the Sisters of Devonshire Square, which would go on to become a nursing school, which is actually pretty badass. Love um, it. She would often attend to the poor. Like I said, like that was kind of a big thing for the Quakers, but she like was very like, this is my job in life. And like I said, she was considered to be a minister in the Society of Friends to the point where they would actually help her uh, assist her in traveling to Scotland, Northern England, Ireland, and much of Europe at the time. One of the things she did on her travels was inspect prisons and write reports. Oh my God. Bet you weren't expecting that. What a terrible job. But like important, but I don't want that job. Right. Prompted by a family friend, Stephen 
Grelt. Um, she actually visited a prison uh, much closer to home, Newgate Prison, which is actually in London. Mm-hmm. Or was in London? I think we've talked about, I don't know, but Newgate sounds familiar. But I think a lot it of things were called Newgate. Um, so she went and visited in 1813 at age of 33. Particularly, she went to visit like the female prisoners in Newgate. Um, and she would actually end up visiting the prison almost daily after she started going. And the conditions she saw there horrified her. The women's section of the prison was overcrowded with women and children, some of whom had never even received a trial. The prisoners would do their own cooking and washing uh, um, in the small cells on which they slept in straw. Women awaiting trial for stealing apples were crammed into the same cells as women who had been convicted of murder, murder or forgery, both of which were capital crimes where you'd get hung. This is some, like, lay Miz bullshit. Oh, no. That's exactly how it was. Women ate shit and slept in the same small cells. If an inmate had a child, either pre-getting arrested or post-getting arrested... They would accompany the the mother to the prison and live in these same conditions. They weren't put in separate cells. They were just thrown in whatever cell their mother was. Good God. For those without help from family, friends, or charities, the options were to beg or to steal food or starve to death in the prison. Many women begged for alcohol as well, languishing naked and drunk. The sight of children clinging to their mothers as they were dragged to the gallows was a scene replayed time and again. When she first started visiting the prison, officials would warn uh, Elizabeth of the risks that she was taking, such as exposure to violence and disease. She waved aside the warnings, often comforting the women, She and would go on to teach them basic hygiene and to sew in quilts so that they might be able to earn a living oh if they ever got released. Isn't that such a novel concept of, like, helping people in prison, prison reform. survive after versus just punishing them and then expecting them to, like, and don't do that again, even though we've right? done everything in our power to make sure you do. She would also read them the Bible and give Bibles away. Not as big on that part, but whatever. That was um, very, like, with the time. Exactly. Though. She would intervene for women on death row. And if her pleas were unsuccessful, she would accompany the women to the scaffold and comfort them in their last moments. Oh, my God. That breaks my heart. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to do everything in my power to help you. And if I can't, I'm going to be there with you. Oh, God. Yeah. That hurts. But, like. What a sweet woman. I know, but that hurts my tiny little heart. Eventually, you know, with the help of her many well-to-do family members, um, Elizabeth was eventually able to fund a prison school for the children who were imprisoned with their mothers. Rather, th- oh And God. she would also actually be able to start teaching the women as well. And rather than attempt to impose discipline on the women, she would just suggest rules to the the female prison population and then ask the prisoners to vote on them to have, like, a democratic system of rules. So that, like, she knew people would follow them because they're all agreeing to it. Well, and how incredible to give them that sense of control and self-governance because, like, I understand you murdered someone, like, mm -mm, that's that's not okay. But some of these women who are in prison for, like, forgery or, like, stealing stealing an apple, apple, like, like, their life is out of control. They're not being given any opportunities to better it. And now they're in prison because of that. 
and for and for the first time they're being given the opportunity to speak for themselves and right. to make their own rules. Right, exactly. Like so in addition to founding like the school for the kids and then like a reform program essentially for the prisoners, she would also found the Association for the Improvement of Female Prisoners at Newgate. Which was basically like bringing women in the outside community together to provide clothing, instruction, and employment for the women in the prison. She aimed to introduce them to knowledge not only of the Holy Scriptures, but to basically teach them about sobriety, order, industry, so that they could be... I don't like the wording of this, but this is like an actual quote. Which may render them docile and peaceable while in prison and respectable when they leave. Yeah, mm, um, I, like peaceable. I don't mind the other, like the end of that. I just don't like docile. I'm like, mm. I I understand what she's trying to say I in do the context too, but of like the language so they would use. Shit going on in those prisons that I'm like, I wonder if like some of those women were probably violent because like guards were trying to like rape them. I yeah no, but I do. I get what she's trying to say. But you know, yeah. So she would also campaign for very specific reforms which would start at Newgate and kind of expand to prisons as we know them today. Oh, snap. Um, things she campaigned for would include separation of men and women in prisons, paid work for inmates, women guards for female prisoners, and the housing of criminals based on their crimes. So that you would no longer have people that, you know, maybe haven't even gone to trial yet in the same cell as people who have murdered someone. Yeah, and been found guilty of it. She also would very strongly promote the idea of rehabilitation instead of harsh punishment, which, um, you know, that was kind of the thing back then. It was basically like, oh, you did this. You're guilty. We don't care. Thank God we don't do Um, that anymore. And this was something like once she really got like through to people that like the authorities in London really took to. And then it kind of just started like spreading throughout England. Elizabeth would also campaign for the rights and welfare of prisoners who were being transported. So not even women who were in prison yet or people who are in prison yet, but like prison ships. That was a big thing back then. So, and not only that, but like previous to Elizabeth stepping up, the women of Newgate prison in particular were taken through the streets of London in open carts, often chained to the carts, huddled together because if they had multiple Mm -hmm. prisoners, they were often pelted with rotten food and filth from the people of the city. The fear was often enough to make the women condemned transportation riot on the evening before because they didn't want to do it. Yeah. So Elizabeth w- persuaded the governor of the Newgate prison to send the women in closed carriages and basically give them their dignity back on their way to prison. Yeah. Which I think is great. She would also visit prison ships. And she persuaded captains to implement systems that would ensure each woman and child, because again, they're sending the children with their mothers. Um, but they, she implement, she persuaded all of the captains to implement a system where each woman and child would at least get a share of food and water for the journey. Which, like, the fact that she had to force them to do that, I'm like, that's terrifying. She would also arrange for. Uh, eventually, uh, this this would take a little longer, but she would arrange for each woman to be given scraps of material and sewing tools for this journey so that they could make quilts on these long journeys and have something to sell as well as useful skills for when they got to, like, the colony they were going to. 
That, well, and I like that where it's, you know, hey, let me give you the tools so that you don't have to resort to crime or like find yourself in a similar position that right kind of got you here like so eventually she was able to actually give them like an entire care package almost which would include the sewing skills or the sewing stuff Kit. <laughs> um a bible string knives and forks which i'm actually surprised she was able to get knives on there they but, super you know, didn't whatever. give a shit about anything um, she would visit almost 106 transport ships almost 12,000 convicts she basically visited every single convict a convict ship that went to London from the time she started this until the time she died. Oh my God. And you know what? The the thing I think is so interesting about this is that like, first of all, we really don't give a shit about people in prisons today. Right. They super did not back then. No. And she's, she's, she's showing them that, Hey, they're still human. Yeah. And like, Hey, I, I do give a shit about you. Exactly. And she, her work and this like, care that she would give these um people being transported would actually help start the movement to abolish transportation particularly Mm -hmm. to english colonies um and it was officially abolished in 1837 however like they had a lot of people slated to still be transported so she was still visiting transportation ships up until 1843 so even though it was abolished in 1837 they were like well we already you know like these guys are getting committed all these people basically (laughs) Um, she would write, um, books on the various prisons she visited, particularly like when she, she went to Scotland and then to the North of England and she would write, she, you know, after her work in Newgate, she basically went and she was like, Hey, like, this is what I saw in Newgate. Here's the conditions of these prisons. Like, and here's how you can do better. She would often actually stay the night in some of these prisons just to kind of see what it was like. And she would invite the nobility of the area to come and like stay with her and see the conditions for themselves. Her kindness helped her gain a lot of friendships, both with the prisoners and with the guards. And they actually started like very slowly beginning to improve the conditions for themselves because they were like, someone cares. Like you Mm -hmm. said, someone cares. And that's really all they needed to know. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth's father-in-law or sorry, brother-in-law, one of, her brother-in-law's was elected to parliament in Weymouth, which is like another, I don't know what they're called in England. Village. Village area. We're going to go with area. General space. In England. um, And actually like started because he was part of parliament and the MPs within Britain. um, She was able to like, or he was able to start like, you know, nudging people and being like, Hey, look at this great work. My sister-in-law is doing like, we should start, you know, doing shit in our prisons. And she would actually be granted um, a, I don't know what, like an audience with the House of Commons to yep. to come and speak about the conditions prevalent in the British prisons. Um, and she was uh, the first woman to present evidence to Parliament on like a case, which I think is huge. Um, to the observers in the 19th century, Elizabeth's efforts produced a miracle. They basically watched as wild and terrible inmates became um, docile, disciplined, and orderly and devout under her care. Mayors and sheriffs um, from surrounding regions would visit Newgate to begin initiating reforms of their own in their own prisons. So basically they were like, okay, what are you guys doing here? Let's, let's, you know, which is great. Um, 
She would eventually extend her reach to uh, women's halfway houses for when they got out of prison. And she would, again, introduce education, discipline, instructions on the Bible. She would help establish a night shelter in London and form societies to minister to vagrant families. She would also go to go to other countries such as France, Belgium, Holland, and Germany to promote these changes for prisons. She would also um, help the homeless. Like I said, she established that nightly shelter, and what caused her to do that was she saw a body of a frozen young boy in the in a London winter. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so she was like, guys, we really need this. And That's some little match girl shit. Oh, yeah. That's awful. Um, she also very much... Um, would anytime she like would travel somewhere, particularly like the one that was highlighted in a lot of the readings I read, was like she she traveled to Brighton and she really instigated or she instituted the Brighton District Visiting Society, which was basically a society of like more well to do people that would come and visit the homes of poor people to provide them with comfort and support and like people that had been in prison and basically like kind of just like a, a checks and balances system to like make sure these people are okay. Yeah. Which I think is great. She would also use her influential network. Cause again, remember she's from a banking family. Like oh, they yeah. know people, they, they know everyone. So she would use that network as well as other prominent like Quakers to work toward the abolition of the slave trade in England. Um, eventually, unfortunately her, her husband would go bankrupt. However, her, her brother, <clears throat> would become her benefactor. Not the brother-in-law. So, mm-hmm. like, not only is her brother-in-law supporting her, but her brother is also like, hey, like, clearly your husband mismanaged shit, but, like, let me help you. Yeah. And thanks to him, she would continue. She would be able to continue and expand her work. She would eventually become a French fry. And yes. go And go to... Um, France, along with other um, Quakers and abolitionists... And despite the language barrier, because almost none of them spoke French, um, Elizabeth and one of the other women that went with her, uh, Lydia Irving, would visit French prisons and um, they would go on to open a a training school for nurses. Uh, And this was the program that would go on to inspire Florence Nightingale. Oh, my God. Yep. Empowered women, empower women. Right. And um, it was actually a team of Elizabeth Fry's nurses that Florence would take to help during the Crimean War. Oh. So, yeah, like it's all weirdly connected. I love that. Um, event. So, um, Elizabeth became so popular with her prison reform that eventually the, um, the king of Prussia would go to see her. And Newgate, Newgate Prison, when he was visiting Great Britain, like he was like, no, this I want to like see this, and he would take what he learned from her. Like, so this is the yeah. king of another country. I know it no longer exists, but at the time, like, and he was like, okay, show me what I need to do. So he met her. He visited the prison, and he brought that home. And he was so impressed that he told, um, like. Basically, everyone he met, like, hey, you need to meet her and you need to talk to her. And, like, a lot of the people he had originally traveled to London with were like, I don't get why you want to meet her. And he was like, no. No, she's the shit. Exactly. And she actually even had an admirer in Queen Victoria who she had several audiences with. um, And the queen would often contribute money to the cause 
even after she ascended to the throne. So like oh they knew God. each other before. And then even after she ascend- ascended to the throne, like she still did, which I think is amazing. Elizabeth would go on to die of a stroke in England in 1845, and her remains are buried in the Friends Burial Grounds at Barking, which is interesting. Um, the Ramsgate Coast Guard would fl- fly their flag at half-masked for her, um, and this is a practice that uh, that until this uh, this occasion had been reserved only for the rule the death of the ru- current ruling monarchy. Oh my. God. God. Yeah. So that was a huge honor. More than a thousand people would stand in silence for Elizabeth during her burial. Oh my God, Elizabeth French Fry. I know. Following, right? Following her death, a meeting chaired by the Lord Mayor of London uh, resolved that it would be fitting to, quote, found an asylum to perpetuate the memory of Mrs. Fry and further the benevolent objectives to which her life had been devoted. So they purchased a townhouse, which is interesting, and they, uh, the first of Elizabeth Fry refugee or refuge, opened its doors. Uh, and this it was a place intended to provide temporary shelter for young women in particular discharged from the metropolitan um, jails and police mm-hmm. offices. Oh, so now it's like a center that was doing what this yeah, single person like was ha- like doing. Yeah, it's basically like a halfway house almost. Oh, my God. Um, and they got a lot of funding. And I think like there is a, like an Elizabeth Fry Foundation that does still exist today. Oh, my God. With similar goals. And yeah, so like basically originally it started like the city of London kind of did it. And then like they started getting a lot of private benefactors that donated. And it became like this whole thing to the point where like. People started supplementing the income of inmates by buying their needlework and, like, asking them to do their laundry and, like, really just started getting involved and helping these inmates to the point where they really started being able to train these inmates because, like I said, people were being like, oh, you know, like, we'll let them do our laundry and we'll let them do our needlework. So they were able to, like, train more and more women so that they would have these skills as manual laborers, essentially, when they got out of prison, which I think is great. Well, yeah, I mean, just giving them the the skills they need to, like, try and make a living right. without having to resort to some kind of crime, which may necessarily not even be their fault because starving sucks. Right. Um, so there are several memorials to Elizabeth Fry, like, obviously. Um it's past my bedtime. Thanks. I'm um, yawning. You're yawning. So she has a statue in the Old Bailey, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a number of memorials which commemorate places she lived, which is very common in England. Like oh, when yeah. I visited, they were like, this person lived here. There's a plaque over there. There's a plaque over there. I'm like, that. that's a weird way to remember people, but okay. Um, but it's because they keep that, like, London in particular is a very old city and that that they tend not to change the architecture of very often. So they can like put a plaque on the outside of a building and know it's going to stay there. Yep. Um, so, um, obviously like due to her work, prison reform became a much, much bigger thing that is still in effect to today. Like obviously like women are still segregated from men. They do tend to put female guards on, female prisoners like and all of that stuff so like you know 
Elizabeth's um, memory definitely still lives on today. And um, even like Quakers have acknowledged her as a prominent member. Um, obviously, her grave is a big site. Um, and actually, they recently, in, I guess not as recently, <laughs> but 2003, so semi recently, they actually like people paid to have her grave restored and a new like plinth put up at her grave site, which is cool. Um, she got a new plaque erected at the Friends Meeting House in Upper Goat Lane, which apparently still exists. So the place she got married still exists. And That's super cute. She's got a new play, uh, plaque in 2007, which would be kind of cool. Maybe next time we go to England, we'll we'll go visit that. Yeah, you know, as um, we want to do. There are actually quite a few even Christian denominations, other Christian denominations that have honored her in various ways as well. Um, in the Lady... Chapel of Manchester's Anglican Cathedral. There's a portrait of her in one of their noble women. Like they have a wing of no- noble women, which is like all glass, mm-hmm. stained glass windows, and oh, one of them's wow. of her, which is cool. She was depicted on the re- the back of the five pound note issued by the Bank of London from 2001 to 2016. So if someone has some old currency, I would love to see that. That's amazing. Uh, she is shown reading to prisoners at Newgate Prison. Like that's the image, which I think Aww. is really, really cute. But yeah. So, she, oh, and for our history stamp collectors, she had a stamp. Damn straight. It was she in did. 19, It was in 1976, but she had one. Seventies <laughs> were a um, wild time. Also, for if you're really, really interested, um, a lot of her diaries, which were very extensive and detailed, have been transcribed and uh, and are. Not necessarily like widely available, but they can be found. Yes, they they can be found with some feverish googling. Yeah, and people going, well, it was fine. I mean, for the time, I guess it was okay, but it didn't really, you know. I mean, like prisons prisons today aren't like that. Yeah, so, you know, like it just, it just, I don't know. It didn't apply to me. I don't know. Like I thought the scene where the the mother's getting dragged to be executed and her child is like grasping at her skirt was like I don't know. It was too a little, much. It was a little over the top. It was a little over dramatic Just, for that, my that taste. Happen. Yeah, yeah. No. It's un hashtag not relatable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Emily. Oh my. Now God. that I finished my story, what are you thankful for? <laughs> Crap! Now you turned it on me. Uh, for you finishing your story, Kelly. Duh. Yeah, thank you. I'm thankful that uh, <laughs> you finished your story. Now I can talk about me. No. Um, okay. So th- this is kind of a this is kind of a, a story versus a straight up. I'm thankful for. So the hotel where I work at has a lot of patients for the clinic. Mm-hmm. Like that's probably ninety I mean, yeah, percent. Yeah, like people who visit Rochester are not coming here for vacation. They're coming here for the clinic. Um. Unless they know someone that lives here. Then yes. they might vacation here. I don't know if I'd call that spending time with your family vacation, but hey, okay. Depends on the family. To each their own. Says a single, <laughs> like, child household. Exactly. I know. <laughs> no, I know. you have no idea. Yeah, no, I do. Anyway, uh, so we have a lot of, like, patients, and they they're, they come from all over, and they're here for, like, a billion different reasons. And I had this, I had this, and like my job is I stand at this little rolling bar Whoa. and I give away free beer and wine. Do you roll your bar around? I do roll it oh around. Oh my God, you're amazing. <laughs> I also learn how to like disconnect and like connect new kegs and. Oh. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a straight up like little bar wench. So it's if awesome. I need you to be my bar wench, you will be? I will fucking be your bar wench. I'll even like wear the cute little corset and Ooh. everything. 
I actually, I'm a straight up NPC because like people ask me questions and I'm like, here's where to go on your your adventure. um, Yeah. I have like the little action mark. Yeah. Actually, I had uh, someone uh, ask me like where all the best Pokemon go places Uh, were. (laughs) So um, now I'm not only am I a generic NPC, but I'm a Pokemon NPC. Working at the local inn, giving directions to travelers while I never actually leave. Anyway, there was a there was a woman who came up to the bar and she just seemed really anxious. She was fidgeting. Uh, she asked for some some wine, and I've got big cups for beer and smaller cups for wine. So I'm pouring her a small cup of wine, and you know I'm just kind of chatting with her, and she's like, "Sorry, you know I just." I have a double mastectomy tomorrow. And you're and like, I'm really big cup. Riz, you know, she, I'm like, I'm just really anxious about it. I was like, oh my goodness. Well, you know what? Uh, would you like the big cup of wine? I was like, honey, do you need a big cup of wine? Because I can hook you up with a big like, cup of wine. Do you just want the bottle? And so like, <laughs> and she's like, actually, that'd be really great. So I like pour her That's the big cup of really wine. That's actually really shocking because a lot of times the night before your surgery, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. Yeah, I thought about that, but also I'm not her doctor, so no, that's not I'm, on me. No, I know, and I'm not <laughs> blaming you. I'm just, like, in my head thinking about that. I, I thought the same thing. But, but it also depends because, like, if her surgery was, like, at 11 and it's maybe a 12-hour like, time frame. Yeah, like, sometimes they say you can't um, eat or drink after 8 p.m. Exactly. And so she's like, I'm getting well this in. That. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like she was obviously very anxious about mm. it. You know, she's not there for a fun reason. Nope. It took a long, was she it was alone? a long road. I don't think she was. She was alone maybe when it, I was speaking yeah, with I was her. Saying maybe at that time, but she wasn't like alone I, yeah. in general. Um, but I was like, oh, honey, let me, let me get you the big cup of wine. She's like, oh, thank you so much. I was like, That's don't worry about it. And I was like, take the and I was like, you know what? You're you're in really good hands. I go to the clinic and like, you know, they've helped me through a lot of stuff. I've had surgeries. I didn't tell her that they were like piddly little hip surgeries because she's getting something very serious. I mean, I but, will say know, it is very serious, but it is also a fairly common procedure. Yeah. But it was kind of one of those moments where one, I was really thankful that I was able to be just kind of like, a, hey, honey, I got you're you. going through some shit. I got you. Let me let me hook you up with the big cup of wine and just to be nice, but also just kind of that thankful, like, oh, my God, like, I'm not going through that because yeah. that's a nightmare. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, like I said, we it's have so many someone. we have so many patients and I even someone gave me a little plant like there. Someone gave me a hug once because they're like, you're just so nice and we really appreciate it. And I'm like, oh, my God, well, <laughs> my like, heart is melting. It's like I saw this thing earlier today that was like every friendship is someone that is an asshole that is low-key nice and someone that is, that everyone thinks is nice and is low-key an asshole and I'm like oh my god that's me and Emily <laughs> okay I'm yeah, the but- asshole that is low-key nice and you're the nice person that is sometimes low-key an asshole yeah I I will say like I don't know it, it can switch for me but when I'm I think if some a of the guests at the hotel saw me being a bitch they would be shocked right they would no, be straight that, up that's shocked I'm not saying like you're always low-key an right. asshole, but, like, that, that's what it is. Isn't it? And I feel like in our friendship, I'm more likely to be viewed as the asshole. Yes, I get that. But I'm actually a decent, like, a, a nice person underneath. It's, it's funny because even though you're not a cat person, I am. You're kind of the cat in the relationship, and I am 100%. the dog. Where I'm like, oh, my God, hi there. It's so nice to meet you. Tell me everything about your life. And you're like, 
And you're like, I'm just gonna, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be over there <laughs> if you need me. Yeah, <laughs> please don't need me. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? That's a great question. It is a great question. That's why I asked it. I only ask great questions. Yeah, you just ask like the mind bogglers over yes. here. Yes, because I am the genius of oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! You're not you're not the Mary that had a little lamb. You're the no, I am the genius of oblivion. Honestly, like that really outlined me growing up. Like middle school, high school, high I was school, the genius 100%. of oblivion. Um, and then like college, especially after some really bad breakups. Yeah, 100%. early mid twenties. Mary had a little lamb because I was working with kids so much, and now. I'm more of a Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving where I'm like, I'm thankful and I just want to eat food all the time. 100%. <laughs> and I'm trying to keep the union and, together. you know, all that, um, oh my God, what is it called? The chemical in turkeys that make you tired oh, all the time. Oh, not triglycerides. I was just talking no, it's about tea. this today. It's I know it is tea a tea. something. Because I was going to say like, is it tryptophan? Tryptophan, yeah. Tryptophan. I was going to say something else, but then I'm like. Girl, you tryptophan it. tryptophan <laughs> See, that's the thing. We just want to eat all the time and we're tired all the time. Yeah. Um, what am I thankful for? I'm thankful that I don't have a migraine anymore. Yeah. I guess. You like I, I had a Oh no, I actually I really do because like so it'll be like a week ago by the time this episode comes out. But like I had I woke up with a migraine. Like I, w- I would call it like a baby migraine, like in terms of my migraines. And I was, and that was on Thursday or Wednesday. And I was like, I'm going to stay home. I don't feel great. Like I have class tonight, but at least this one's online because it's an elective. Because I'm finally back in person, which I'm, I'm very thankful for. I got that Snapchat and I was like, wait, what do you mean looking cute for class? Because we're back in person (laughs) anyways. um, And so like I had a baby migraine and I thought I was doing fine. And then I woke, I woke up on Thursday and I was like, you know what? I... I hurt and I'm sore because like my migraine hangovers for those of you, I don't know. Everyone's a little different, but like for me, I get really sore after I've had a migraine mm. and I still have like a little bit of one, but I was like, maybe I'll be okay. So I like got up, I took a shower and that actually helped with the soreness because mm-hmm. you know, like hot water, my muscles relaxed a bit and I was like, this is great. I went to work. It's <laughs> like, this is great. And then like, an hour and a half into work, I was like, this is not great anymore. I basically almost got sick at work. And I was like, I like went to the bathroom, like s- sat, not sat, stood there mm-hmm. for a few minutes. Like I didn't get sick or anything, but I thought I was going to. I came back out and I was like, I'm going to go home. And my coworker was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. And so I, just, I like basically texted or I messaged my boss. I was like, I'm going to go home now. <laughs> And I came home, I was like, oh my God, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Not really, but you know, like I was like, obviously I'm not fine. I'm here. Like, otherwise I'd still be at work. And I, and I literally went to bed and I slept from like 1030 when I got home until like three o'clock. Oh my God. Just, it was funny because my husband was like, oh, I'll, I'll check on you in a little bit. Like, cause he was talking to one of our friends who we don't get to see a lot. And which was fine. Like he checked on me when I got home. Yeah. And then I'm like, I don't feel good. Like, you don't, whatever. But he's like, oh, I'll check on you in a little bit. Like, and I'm like, oh, thanks. And like, I asked him later, I'm like, did you ever check on me? He's like, yeah. I'm like, was I just out? He's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> and yeah, and then I like slept till like three and then I got up and I ate dinner. And then I kind of just was super lazy. But like today, that was yesterday. And then today, like 
I woke up and I'm like, oh my God, I feel like a human being again. Like, it actually today was a really great day and I felt really good and it was nice out and I went for a walk. It was actually like. It was actually a very nice day. Th- this uh, there was the some first... other shit that happened, which made yeah. it not a nice day. But like, besides that shit, it was a nice day. Hace buen tiempo. I have no idea. Well, bien means good. Buen. 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 Yeah. So the it's night nice weather. Yeah, it was very yeah. nice weather. Tomorrow's supposed tiempo. to be very nice. Muy buen. It's supposed to be like seventy, and that's supposed to rain again because. Es asolado. Because we somehow live in the Pacific Northwest without living in the Pacific Northwest, like without the benefits of like having an ocean, right? Or pretty trees. Yeah, I mean our trees are all right. I'm allergic to like our tree. We have a lot of birch trees in Rochester. Yeah. Like a lot of birch trees compared to like the Twin Cities where I grew up. Yeah. I'm allergic to birch my, trees. My allergies this year straight up kicked me in the ass. Luckily, <laughs> well, not luckily. We haven't come into birch mating season yet. <laughs> it's coming. You know, where they, the trees they, uproot themselves like, and hump yeah, wildly exactly. in the woods. That's like late spring. Um, but it's funny because, like, I told Justin, I'm like, oh, man, I always, I always thought, like, moving down here, my allergies, like, and them getting worse was, like, because of the dogs. And I'm like, no, it's because you guys have, like, four times as many birch trees as where I grew up. Yep. And they're fucking, fucking in the everywhere. woods at all times. At all times. Late spring. Late spring. Late spring. Getting down and dirty. Yeah. Making me feel miserable. Yep. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. We have a contact form on there where we would love to hear from you. Tell us some names of your exes or people you hate, and we'll name cockroaches after them. If you don't understand what I'm saying, go listen to our last episode. Were we talking about that in the last episode? This is what happens when we record. It was either it was either our last episode or when Emily forgot that I hadn't gone yet in this episode. One of the two. Um, uh, we also have a link to our merch site on there, so go buy some sweet merch. Uh, you can also join our Patreon for as little as one dollar a month. There's some extra content that we've been lacking on, but we're getting there. Um, like we're going to be going to Texas and I'm sure we'll post some stuff from there. Dude, everything from Texas is going to go on our Patreon. Yeah. So get on that. Y'all shit. are going to get so sick of your Patreon. No, we're going to be talking about being Japanese soldiers getting blown up by grenades. It's going to be a yep. lot of fun anyways. Uh, and rate us five stars wherever you listen. Cause we really appreciate it and it helps other people find us. We love you. We love you. Te amo. Well, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And as always, have an empowered day. Bye! Bye.